In a world where businesses face constant change, there's one partner ready to tackle any HR challenge with you, AIMHR Solutions. We're not just any HR firm. We're your personalized problem-solving team dedicated to customizing solutions just for you. From talent management to compliance, training to on-site services, our approach is tailored to meet your unique needs. With AIMHR Solutions, you're backed by a powerhouse of professionals ready for proactive planning and immediate challenge. Learn more at aimhrsolutions.com. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIM HR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright. Today, we're turning the pages on employee handbooks, those essential guides that can make or break workplace understanding. And who better to navigate this realm with us than experts from the forefront of HR Solutions, Kyle Pardo and Sarah Piscatelli. Kyle, Sarah, welcome. Thank you for sitting down with me today to talk about employee handbooks. Oh, my goodness. I started this morning at about 4 a.m., and I thought, I'll just flip through a few. And then now it's been about six or seven hours, and uh, I'm, I'm lost in the variety of employee handbooks. Can we start with a little table setting? Why are we here today talking about employee handbooks? What are the essential problems that we want to solve? Kyle, you want to kick us off? Yeah. Uh. Gosh, that's such a big question. And I'm sorry that you had to spend your morning <laughs> reading like that. <laughs> uh, employee handbooks, it's really, it's that balance having, um, you know, your, your company policies, uh, their compliance related, having them laid out so employees can understand them, mm-hmm. but not laying out everything because there's always the exception in, in the gray areas that are difficult to put in print. So how do you, how do you find that balance between the two? That's the challenge. I think so. And and Sarah, I, my take on it is while it, even as many as, as 10 to 15 years ago, um, we would have a lot of processes in place. One of the things I've noticed in looking at recent, like over the last three to five year handbooks, there is a real heavy up on judgment, right? Using like employee best judgment. Who are you? Not just what can you do for this company? Is that a trend that you're seeing? Did I notice? Is, am I noticing something accurate or has that been there all along and I just missed it? I think it's been there all along to some extent, but I do think em- employers, I'll just give you a little background about Massachusetts. You know, it's been probably 20 years plus where there was a couple of cases where the the company became bound by what was in, it was found to create a contract, right? So now you'll see a lot of this disclaimer, giving the employer language at the beginning of the handbook, usually, you know, giving the employer a lot of wiggle room, right? They're they're saying, here are the rules. We, you know, we do our best to follow them. At times we will depart from that. Plus we have the right to, to, um, to change the rules, you know, as we go along. So it's, it's meant to be a guide map, but, but you're right. There, there, it is not quite as exacting as it may, may have been at one time. And you see that in particular policies as well. You know, there's certain policies that before it may have been, you know, you'd have dress codes that it have really specifics, you know, you cannot wear X, Y, and Z must wear this, this, you don't see that quite as much. Sorry. I think another one is, is a uh, code of conduct. You yes. know, companies will list the, the behavior that's unacceptable. And they and sometimes there's behaviors you can't even imagine that you want to have on that list until it happens in your organization. And then you think, ah, that should have been 
that should have been on our list as well. And so it's almost hard to predict every scenario. Let's kick it off with your favorites. What are your favorite things, trends, elements, maybe specific style guides that you that you think of when you come to a conversation like this? What do you pull out of your back pocket as handbooks? Because I'll tell you, I have looked at uh, Valve Software and Netflix and Abercrombie and Disney, and they all have a very different way to communicate. And I think I think that what I'm looking for is integrate the who of the employee and the who and what of the organization. Right. It's that it's that right. finding that yes. puzzle piece. And they all are telling a different story or maybe it's the same story in their way to make you feel like you are a part of this place, this place that is special. And also, here are the policies that once you're a part of this place, you have to abide by. Absolutely. So the handbook itself typically will, re- will reflect the company culture, right? So if it's a very mm-hmm. casual environment, you're going to see all sorts of fun policies in there. But at the end of the day, it's still a document of of policies, of behavior, of compliance, uh, you know, rules, all of those good things that have to be followed. So, um, you know, I think you'd find things that have evolved over time. You know, if we take, let's go with dress code. If we think back years, the financial institutions, the, you know, the early IBMs, they had policies where you can only wear a white or blue dress shirt if you were a man. Mm -hmm. You know, you couldn't wear any other colors or anything. Those were their, their, their policies. And over time, obviously companies have to, had to adjust that. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is because culture itself has changed, but employee um, expectations have changed too. Employees are, are looking at a company and thinking, ah, is that the type of place I want to work with whatever those policies are? Am I willing to follow that? So you've really seen those evolve over time. Yeah, it, it, it brought to mind for me, the um, the there was a recent case from the National Labor Relations Board, Stericycle, which has the employment bar in Kind of an uproar, you know. But what kinds of policies will pass muster? It it um, it does some backpedaling from previously looking at. So just to back up a little bit, the National Labor Relations Act, which we always think of that as being in the unionized workforce world, right? But can apply mm-hmm. to non-unionized workplaces as well. There's a section in there in the NLRA section seven. Um, it says uh, that employers may not interfere with employees' rights to engage in protected concerted activity. So this case, Stericycle, which did involve a unionized workforce, went before the NLRB. They took a look at it and and really broadened it, it made a presumption of um, unlawfulness of any policy that would um that that may show a work rule, it's presumptively unlawful, but it, if, you, if it is established that an employee could reasonably interpret a rule to restrict or prohibit that protected Section 7 activity, what does that mean? It just It isn't so much that you would see that as prohibiting that activity, just that you could. And some of the rules that they were looking at, and there were handbook rules, and they were... Um, one of them had to do with harassment complaints, and the company prohibited employees from disclosing complaints and the terms of their resolution entirely. Very broad, you know, all kinds of complaints, and that could be seen as detected activities under mm-hmm. Section 7, which allows them to unionize. And there were other things. So so a lot of, you know, attorneys are looking at policies now with an eye toward, could this be seen as as interfering with those rights and trying to narrowly tailor them to what the company's trying to do. So even if they could be unlawful, they also, it has, might serve a good purpose for the company, right? And having that role. I, I look at that and looking at some of the modern 
guides that I'm that I've been reading this morning, they are they, they. It seems like one of the trends is we are moving toward very sort of lay language, right? We're telling a narrative story. We're softer around the edges. But to your point, one of the benefits of the way guides were written 20 years ago is precision of language, right? Like, it, do modern guides become a, a greater target for risk for just those kinds of could, would, should misunderstandings because they're written like like fiction books? I think they are. And, you know, you even th- think about hybrid work environments. Right. So those are new policies that companies have put in place very likely in the last couple of years. And companies still don't know, you know, is this policy here to stay? Is it temporary? Does it apply to everybody? What's the best way to take a look at hybrid work? So a lot of times you'll, you'll find some of that language that says, uh, you know, please speak with your manager for further details or other exclusions may apply or those types of things that, that give the the out to say, you know what, it applies to everybody else, but Pete, in your situation, it might not apply to you. Mm-hmm. And just to, because there's so many nuances that they're not sure if what the future looks like. Great for employee understanding at time of hire, at time of onboarding. But mm-hmm. but I, I imagine some of those some of those soft edges can get complicated to Sarah's example. Uh, I I have this one example that I want to go back to for for Valve in terms of how the guide is able to communicate in again lay language the overall hierarchy of the organization. Why does your desk have wheels? Think of those wheels as symbolic reminder that you should always be considering where you could move yourself to be more valuable. But also think of those wheels as literal wheels because that's what they are, and you'll be able to actually move your desk with them. That begins a policy on communicating the flatness of the organization and goes on for four or five pages in the guide talking about how employees choose their own work. They have to talk to people at the coffee maker. There's literally a diagram of two employees talking to one another, standing at the urinal in the bathroom to determine what (laughs) projects are going on in the organization and what they should decide to work on next. This really struck me because it it seems like it exemplifies the gray area that exists in modern organizations, maybe particularly technical organizations, and does not clarify uncertainty to me for employees who really just would like to be told what to do. How do you talk to organizations who are struggling to communicate these sorts of concepts to new employees? in a way that provides clarity and i guess a sense of safety that i'm in the right place that i'm smart and good at i'm good at the job i just need somebody to tell me what to do i struggle with that one a bit in that you know it's, it's interesting the 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 situation you just referenced i think i think is really painting a certain culture at this company and mm-hmm. they really sound like they've gone to depths to explain that if it's several pages and there's an image and there's examples and all of that um, <laughs> but i always view the handbook as information that you want to convey, you want to be able to convey it to all of your employees. So it should be in really simple language uh, that anybody can understand. Um, there are sometimes policies that you'll see like that. You'll read several times. And you'll say, what are, what am I trying to get out of this? What mm-hmm. is, what are they trying to tell me? And if, and if there's any confusion, I'm not sure that a handbook is doing what it's intended to do. So, um, you know, specific example, I haven't read this policy, so I wouldn't want to comment on it specifically, but, um, certainly, uh, I think that's the caution I would use in, in figuring out, you know, is this going to convey what you want to convey? Or maybe is this situation something that's better in a training program to really talk about the 
communication style mm-hmm. in the organization. So um, I would think about that. I don't know if Sarah has any additional thoughts on it from a legal perspective, but. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, no, and that's that's an interesting one. It's as if they're trying to dictate the culture. You can't just write the script from you know from a handbook. But uh, that comes up from time to time when we speak with members who want to institute a um, uh, unlimited vacation policy. You know, mm-hmm. while that sounds great, people can take as much time off, unlimited time off. It was also it kind of subject to abuse by certain managers. You know, the, they'll set the expectation for their group, right? And, and it might be that somebody gets no vacation time because, yeah, sure, we can take as much as we want technically, but on the ground here, that's not how it works. So I think being too, you know, trying to establish your culture in a handbook is probably not a good idea. It should reflect your culture in some way, certainly in introduction, things like that. But um, I think it has to be a little bit more tightly written so that people do understand it, you know, in, in the plain language, as Kyle. This is a, an interesting one. It, clearly, it's successful. I mean, the first version of this I read was 2012, and it has changed all but nothing since t- 2012. The current current year still has the same policy. Obviously, it works. At some point, they were able to to build this into their culture enough where the, you know, uh, where the guide, uh, you know, dictates it well enough. Um, what are you what are you are we looking at in terms of current trends outside? I mean, obviously, this is a, a special case, we'll say. But in, in terms of modernizing our language around policy guidance, what are we seeing right now? Two things. One thing we have done is on our model handbook, because AIM has a model handbook available on its website, um, have taken out any gender specific language. So that's, um, we had a lot of he, she, and it can be sort of awkward working into everything as the employee or using the plural there, you know, for certain things. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely a trend that we wanted to be sure we were on top of and and that our handbook, our model handbook looks like that. And as Kyle mentioned, hybrid workplace, there's, you do see a lot more remote work policies or even if if they had one existing pre-pandemic, right, that's probably been updated because they probably, you know, most many companies have more fully remote people. So those are trends. Again, that stereocycle decision is going to affect a lot of, I think a lot of employers were really reviewing the handbook to make sure everything was narrowly tailored, you know, be more specific if these particularly conduct policies seem to limit people's rights under the NLRA. So those are the trends that I am seeing. Anything else, Kyle? I, I just say the other general trend is that uh, handbooks likely are online now. So there's mm-hmm. likely a, a digital version for your company. So that provides the company just with a lot more flexibility. You know, in years past, they might have written it and printed it out and handed everybody a nice bound copy of it at some point. And a couple of years later, you might have received an update. And so obviously now having it on your company internet or, you know, payroll system or wherever it might be, it gives the company a lot more flexibility to update that handbook over time rather than just once a year, every couple of years. Now might be a good time to talk about just general communication of updates to the handbook. One of the handbooks I was looking at this morning was Trello's. Trello is a uh, you know software company, makes an app that does Kanban boards with cards. It's a, it's a productivity software. Their handbook is actually built in their own tool. So all of their policies are built as cards in different sections along this Kanban board. And I, I got to thinking it's really lovely. It demonstrates the, the facility of the tool itself. It demonstrates how all the the different features to new employees that you could possibly be using. But also, what if a policy changes, say, mid-year? 
do you have best practices in mind? How do you guide people on making sure employees are up to speed on new policies, particularly when they're online and HR has and legal have the flexibility of changing things on the fly? I, I think it's best to to notify employees. There might be some that really don't impact people on a day to day basis. You know that you don't necessarily need to. Um, if, um, but but I would notify people of a change in a memo. You don't necessarily need to get them to acknowledge it and send it back. Just a simple memo with a link to the policy. Sometimes presenting the policy directly to them. Say you'll find it on our internet at such and such, you know, put a link in there. But I I think it is the best practice to notify them of any changes. And a lot of payroll systems give you that opportunity where if you change a document like that, if you have it loaded into a a dashboard and payroll system, the next time an employee logs into the payroll system, that gives them a little checkbox just to say, I I know that there's an update and I have read it and received it. Like a persistent box up top. You can't, you you need to see this and acknowledge it. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've also read a a policy about, you know, for non-emergent policy changes, batching them is okay. Is that a thing that we we deal with every quarter or every half? You send an update that says, hey, we've got some updates here. They are. Um, So you're not inundating them with, you know, frequent updates if you're, especially, I guess, if you're a, a new organization with lots of changes coming. Yeah, I absolutely think that's just fine. There's, um, you know, some years are very busy in terms of legislative updates, either federal or state, and other years are fairly quiet. And so mm-hmm. you have to take a look at that and see it. And also some things might come out that don't particularly apply to your organization. So um, I think uh, there's usually enough time, even if you did it quarterly, to be able to update your your handbook like that. So we've talked about modernizing language, taking out gender-specific pronouns, that sort of a thing. What about policies or policy sections themselves? Are you seeing uh, emergent policies? I I guess I would uh, say, you know, remote work policies post-pandemic, probably new sections being put in there. What else are are um, are you encouraging people to include in modern new start from scratch guides that you might not have included 10 years ago? I think along with the remote work, there's some other uh, remote work norms that we're starting to see. So it's not just the fact that you're allowed to work at home, but there are some policies on, do you have to be on camera if you have a, a Zoom call or, mm. you know, what do you have, to, what's your dress code look like if you're working from home, if you're on camera, those types of things. So there are some kind of supplemental policies in that area. Um and then I think dress code in general, again, go back to that one because that one has has really evolved and continues to evolve, particularly with a couple of uh, new federal laws on on things like hairstyles and um, and what's acceptable dress. I, I think others too are um, the use of artificial intelligence is one. You're going to see a lot more laws. There really aren't very many laws around it, but employers should know if employees are using AI in their jobs, of course, and, and have, have them... Um, Seek permission, of course, if they're going to use it. Um, Cybersecurity as well. There are a lot of laws. Massachusetts has had a WISP, Written Information Security Program law for 10 years, and many, many states have laws around that. For example, if there's a breach, you know, just making making employees aware of protecting confidential personal information, that sort of thing, and and notifying the company if there's if there's a breach or a suspected breach. So those are areas I see more laws around it and, and more companies um, looking to get ahead of it. And one, one other area is uh, safety. You know, uh, during COVID, we saw the, the uptick in masking policies and vaccination and things like that. We, we do hear fewer questions. I think people have um, lightened up a little bit on that, but I think it should be something that people still 
keep an eye on because if there's ever a resurgence or something like that, I think there were there were a lot of policies that came up um, kind of 2020, 2021. And I guess the flip side of that question is, what do you find are the the most challenging policies to communicate right? What are the policies that organizations find the stickiest that you get the calls on on the hotline? Yeah, I think I think they're around uh, leaves of absence because right now there are many states with a paid leave that's layered in with the federal FMLA. How do these all work together in understanding the particulars? In, in Massachusetts, we're just a couple of years into the paid family medical leave, so people are still adjusting to you know still getting familiar with how to use it. Um, so those all we get we get a lot of questions on those policies. What should they say? How how specific they need to be? I think another area is social media. There have been trends over time. You know, can you prohibit an employee using social media, or can you prohibit what they say on social media about the company, or you know when they use it, or use of their telephones in general? So, you know, I think companies continue to look at that as technology evolves and, and employees have access to to that type of information. Specific to promoting on social media. What is your position, or I should say, what is AIM's position on guidance around publicizing uh, employee handbooks outside of the company? I mean, I obviously spent a whole bunch of time this morning reading very, very public uh, employee handbooks, but some companies are quite private about those things. Is there any guidance there? I really haven't haven't given it much thought. I think if... Um... I would recommend that. I don't know that you have to be public with it. I suppose a, a prospective employee, an applicant might take a look at it. But generally, any applicant that comes to the door is presumed not to be familiar with the the policies that are in the handbook, right? I mean, they, they usually mm-hmm. don't have access to them. So, no, I'd, I'd, it might be bigger companies that feel comfortable putting it out there and want people to know more about how things work. I know there's some companies that are hesitant, particularly if they have different policies for their exempt and their non-exempt employees, for example. So there are companies that might have, you know, if you're a non-exempt employee, you get two weeks of vacation. If you're an exempt employee, you get four weeks of vacation. And so those companies have said, you know what, maybe we want to have two separate handbooks. You know, we, we don't want people internally comparing what one group has versus another group. And so we're going to only share it with the people, you know, kind of on a need to know basis. So I'm sure there are many companies like that if they have different locations or, you know, they want to kind of keep that uh, closer to themselves. But if you, you know, I think the other way around is if, if you're confident and you know why you made a decision and why you, why you have that policy and that you're, you're following a law, you're following your company culture for that, then I think it's okay to make it public or share it within other groups in your company. Well, I think it, that is a it's a great point. And I think I look at at uh, Netflix, the Netflix uh, uh, guide presentation. It's a it's a slide presentation, but it was leaked, I believe. Slide two, uh, they talk all about, you know, freedom and responsibility and all the things that um, that that are they encourage in their employees. And slide two is freedom and responsibility implies to our salaried italics employees. And then in a very fine gray below it, light font, our hourly employees are important, but they have more structured jobs. And I get that. I get what the language is trying to communicate. But as a page two communicates something maybe different than intended by the people who put together the employee guide. And I believe that was later changed because. It's it it feels like a contradiction if you're an hourly employee and you are proud to work at Netflix. Should you still be proud to work at Netflix? Yeah, you feel like you're getting something different, right? You yeah, know, you're mm-hmm. treated a little bit differently. 
Yes. Right, right. Shouldn't shouldn't company values apply to everyone involved in the organization? Yes. Uh, I think last question as we lead toward wrapping up. The the pandemic has done one interesting thing to a lot of people who work for big companies, which is allow them to move to other places and be fully remote uh, when there was no uh, working at their main offices. Now we have return to work policies coming into play. How does relocation impact handbook policies or the language that you use to describe, you know, the policies that, that apply to uh, employees? dependent on where they live. Sarah? Yeah, no, this is a great question. We've seen a lot of that from members who now have remote employees in other states. For example, I was working on one recently. They have a single employee in California. They, uh, The member came to me with the understanding that, well, it's only one, so you need to have five employees to qualify for family leave in California. We're not subject to that. But the language in the law does say five employees anywhere in the United States, and therefore they do have to comply with the family leave law in California. You really have to be very conscious of that. And, and our approach is to do one main handbook that can deal with culture, general company rules, with, of course, the caveat that it can vary by location, but then do a state addendum for each state in which you have even one employee and um, just, just anything that's different. Yeah, it can get that pretty may long. be the. Yeah, that may be the big sneaker guidance of this whole episode. I did not know that, that you could have one employee in California, one in Austin, one in Tampa, one in as long as they add up to five outside of the headquarters. That counts. That one in California. Yes. Then that's. Yeah. As long as there are five, you have five people, five employees anywhere in the in the United States, then the California family law. And it might be different in other states as well. I think in Massachusetts, for example, our family leave, it doesn't matter how many so in that okay. instance, though, it just was um, even though they only had one employee that they, they do have to provide that family leave. Fascinating. That is fascinating. Uh, as always, I have learned a ton. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what AIM HR can do for uh, helping you out there, dear listener, working to write uh, your own employee handbook, a smart employee handbook. What can AIM do, Kyle? We have lots of options for you. All right. One of our options is a model handbook. So we have a model handbook with about 40 policies, everything from required policies to uh, some some optional policies. But um, we make it really simple. You can go through, kind of cut and paste, take out the ones that don't apply based on the size of your company and add in some specific ones. And you can get a handbook completed pretty quickly for your organization. So that's usually a good place to start if you don't have anything. Um, beyond that, uh, if you do have a handbook, we have what's called a handbook subscription service. And it goes back to what you said, Pete, how do you keep your handbook up to date? So once you've had it, maybe you've had it reviewed and we review handbooks as well. But once you have it reviewed, how do you keep it up to date? So it doesn't quickly, uh, become outdated. And, um, anytime there's a change in federal or state law, we'll send out sample policies to keep the handbook updated. And you can do the same thing, cut and paste the sample. We'll tell you what section to put it into your handbook. And that way you can keep it, uh, keep it compliant over over time. So um, happy to do out-of-state handbooks as well for those multi-state companies that we talked about. So lots of different options. When should an organization have a handbook? Let's say you're a startup, you just got some venture money. There are just two or three of you working in a garage. Do you need a handbook yet? Sarah, you can probably answer this better, but you know, once you have a couple of employees, there's, there are policies that apply. I've done a few handbooks recently for companies with fewer than 10 employees with the expectation that they're going to grow, but they want to be mm-hmm. ahead of it, you know, and have it have it um, already in place. Right. To the point of establishing culture. Yes. At a, at a bare minimum, beyond what you can and cannot do while standing at a urinal. 
Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you guys so okay. much. Make sure to swipe up in the show notes. We've got links. And you know what? I might just put some direct links to some of the uh, handbooks that I looked at this morning only because they're interesting, not because we recommend them, just because they're fascinating to look at as examples of how to communicate culture. It's it's worth uh, broadening those horizons, but definitely check out AIM's uh, employee handbook materials on the website. That will be first. Thank you both so much for hanging out and talking with me, teaching me today. As always, find all the links and notes at amhrsolutions.com. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else. Fine podcasts are served. On behalf of Kyle Pardo and Sarah Piscatelli, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR. <laughs>